0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us the peace and the courage of Easter. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get started, by the way, just in case you've got somebody that you'd like to introduce to our Savior and you're not sure they're ready for the whole liturgical service with albs and stoles and altars and candles, You can always go over to our YouTube channel, Faith Island, and there you'll find Miss Kayla's children's messages and just the sermons, as well as a few other things that we add from time to time. So today's epistle lesson is a powerful reminder of just why Jesus had to come and save us. Peter writes this letter to the followers of Jesus who have been scattered all over the Roman Empire just because of their faith in Jesus. Now, Emperor Nero only reigned for 14 years, from 54 to 68 A.D., but he viciously persecuted the Christian church during those years. Now, this, this epistle was written around 64 A.D., yeah, the same year that Rome burned while Nero fiddled, and just two years before Peter was hung upside down on a cross, crucified, and died because of his faith in Jesus. Peter's letter is written to encourage believers, no matter where they are in the world, no matter what's going on in their life, and he says, I want you to live in the promises of your risen Savior, in spite of any suffering or loss, pain, or insecurity that you might be going through. See, the world back then, just like the world now, is full of people, fully engaged in a life in which they find no pleasure and no purpose. They're just spinning their wheels they're just marking their days with endless complaints. And they get so angry at people who seem to know what they're doing, who seem to enjoy life, who seem to well, seem to know why they're here. In fact, the world is so bothered by people living out their life and making a difference, they'll do just about anything to get rid of them so they don't have to listen to those, uh, their, their hallelujahs or, or look at, at those people that are staring at an empty grave, smiling and singing. Now these people want to get back to complaining about their miserable life. So he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah! Well, after 40 days and five Sundays, we finally got relief from the dark purple of Lent. Oh, I know. A lot of people like the color of purple. and, and, And let's face it, Lent isn't all that bad. But we go through Lent to get to Easter. And by the way, if you couldn't make it on Easter Sunday, it's okay. Because the Easter celebration isn't over. It goes on for 50 days until we get all the way to Pentecost. When it comes to special days, Easter is right up there next to God leaving heaven and getting born as a tiny baby human on Christmas or God dying on a cross on Good Friday. You see, Easter Sunday with God coming back to life, it just can't be contained, shouldn't be contained, won't be contained to just a single day on the calendar. Now this is the biggest and best news the gospel has for us. See, because Jesus didn't stay dead, we aren't going to stay dead either. So now and then we catch glimpses of the new creation that God promises us. Uh, We we get a glimpse of of the hope that's real, a a promise that's more than just a hopeful maybe with fingers crossed. And Easter Sunday, that's one of those glimpses. St. John said the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And then did you hear the words of Peter in our epistle lesson today? He says, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, is being kept in heaven just for you. And through faith, you are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. When Pilate heard the disciples had put Jesus' body in a borrowed tomb, he told the soldiers to go and make that tomb as secure as they knew how. He ordered a round-the-clock guard. He even affixed his official wax seal, which, by the way, meant anybody who broke that seal without his permission would be put to death. So what exactly was Pilate afraid of? I mean, he did everything he could, and then he went back to washing his hands. It just seems a little strange, doesn't it? So which is worse, fear or death? Which is worse, fear or suffering? Which is worse, fear or whatever you're afraid of, whether it's spiders or snakes or darkness. or, You know, hope's contagious. Even a glimpse of hope is enough to cause the most introverted, awkward, shy person to get up and do something. There were whisperings of this Jesus coming back to life, Uh, whisperings that he said the grave couldn't hold him, whisperings where he said death really wasn't all that bad because it was only temporary for those who believed in him. And so Pilate did everything he could to keep someone from stealing Jesus' body so that those whisperings didn't become shouts. He obviously thought he had done enough. But through sealed stone and an armed guard, life emerged from death. Now, the angel and Jesus didn't bother to ask Pilate if they could have permission to break the wax seal, and they just broke it because they weren't afraid of any of his threats. And uh, the gospel says the guards were so afraid of the angels that they were like dead men, which of course they were once Pilate got a hold of them. <sighs> you know what? If they'd been listening to any of those whispers, if they had any clue who Jesus was, yeah, now would have been a really good time for them to stop rejecting the Holy Spirit and been like that one thief on the cross that said, hey, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, Easter isn't just about one person not being dead anymore. One of the craziest And scariest, yet most exciting verses in the entire Bible is found in Matthew chapter 27. It says, The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. They entered the holy city and appeared to many. And by the way, when they say that um, the saints had fallen asleep, they, they didn't mean they were taking a nap. They mean they had died. Now, that's going to be a lot harder for Pilate and the others to cover up. See, because of Jesus, death didn't have the power that it once had because fear had met its match. See, the reason I asked which is worse, fear or death, fear or suffering, fear or whatever it is that you're afraid of, is because if we spend all of our time, all of our life being afraid, especially, by the way, of things that are most likely not going to happen, and by the way, the latest statistics show literally 85% of the stuff that we're afraid of is never going to happen. If we let that take place, then we're wasting a good life. And so while we might be wired to worry, we, we need to find a way to manage it so that we don't lose the life that we've been given. Life is, is just way too precious to waste. So in two weeks, it's going to be Psalm 23 and Shepherd and Sheep Sunday. Toward the end, King David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. David doesn't say evil and death don't exist because, let's face it, that'd be a lie. Terrible things do happen. And by the way, they happen to believers and not believers as well. Death lies ahead for all of us. Every saint, every sinner, yeah, they're going to die. David doesn't try to explain evil or minimize it. He just says, I shall fear no evil. It doesn't matter how much power evil has. He says it doesn't have enough to make him afraid. And if we ask why, he's happy to answer us. See, at the center of the psalm, David changes from talking about God, you know, listing all the beautiful things about God, to talking with God, as though God is right there with him. See, the most powerful and necessary words come when he says, Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. See, David doesn't fear evil because God is right there with him. That is the center of faith. This is why Christmas and Good Friday and Easter Sunday are so important. You see, God comes into our midst. He takes on our flesh and blood. He lives side by side with us. He walks with us, loves us, forgives us. He brings us hope. Easter brings us that whole inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, which is being kept in heaven for us. So when Jesus died, it wasn't just the sky that went dark. It was the lives of all the people that had found their hope in him, in lust. And this is so important. They had been listening to him and remembered what he said. He said, i got to suffer. i got to suffer a lot. Be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be raised to life on the third day. Remember that passage on Easter Sunday when Mary goes to the tomb and she thinks he's the gardener, and when she finally recognizes him, she hugs the stuffing out of him, and Jesus turns and he says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. He wasn't fragile. He wasn't suffering from personal space issues. He was reminding her it was her faith in him that was going to see her through the rest of her life. And her faith in him was just as good and just as powerful as if he was right by her side. So today's big theological word is eschatological. It's a noun, And it's really important to us believers It asks, what ultimately happens to a person's soul? Now, for those who may not be so spiritual, it could be translated, what happens to a person's essence? Peter says for the believer, their real life, their forever life will be revealed in the end times. Now, Peter promises, your suffering's gonna end just not right now. And that's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that Jesus was coming back at, you know, 1.30 this afternoon or maybe at 9.15 tomorrow morning. He was going to reward them for their faithfulness. There would be no more persecution, no more suffering, no more mean and nasty soldiers. Everything would be perfect. And, you know, for some of Peter's readers, they did meet Jesus at 1.30 in the afternoon or 9.15 the next morning as the persecution claimed their bodies but not their souls. See, for the most part, though, all these people lived out the rest of their life, suffering for the sake of their faith and waiting for the end times, but having the peace and the promise and the presence of God right with them. See, for the believer, the question of the end time and what happens to the soul It just can't be one of those philosophical questions that you sit around debating and, you know, talk about the thousands of different theories and ideas because as exciting as that is, especially when somebody plays the devil's advocate and throws everything into chaos. For us believers, it always has to go back to Good Friday. Jesus hanging on the cross. And not long before he dies, he turns and he looks at everybody and says, It is finished. And that impersonal it, by the way, is anything but impersonal. It's all the pain and hurt and loss. It's all the sin. It's all the junk. It's, it's everything that causes us to be afraid, to get lost in the darkness, to lose our way. And Jesus turns to us and he says, it, all of it, is finished. No longer has power over you. The book of Revelation is more specific about that end time. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will no longer exist, no grief, crying, pain. It's not going to exist any longer either because the previous things have all passed away. We don't know where Thomas was or why he wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus showed up. We do know the other disciples couldn't wait to tell Thomas that he missed a Jesus sighting, that he walked right through those locked doors, held out his hand, lifted up to his shirt and said, hey, peace be to you. And he didn't just say it once. He told him twice. Now, Even though the other 10 disciples swore to it, Thomas wasn't sure whether they were making fun of him or maybe punishing him a little bit because he wasn't there. Maybe they were all suffering from some mass delusion. And so he made it clear to them that his favorite word only had two letters, I and N. And he turns to him and he says, unless I stick my fingers in the nail holes and my hand in the wound in his side, I'm not going to believe that's really gross, but pretty specific. A week later, the disciples are once again locked in the room in Jerusalem, and this time Thomas is with them. Jesus shows up, walks right through the door again, wounds and all, holds out his hands, lifts up his shirt, turns to Thomas and says, go ahead, put your fingers where the nail holes were, put your hand in my side where the spear was. Thomas turns to him and says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, you have believed because you have seen, but blessed are those who have not seen, and yet believe. Now, most of us can't stomach a small wound that needs stitches, let alone something as gory as, well, a spear or a nail wound. But there's Thomas poking and prodding around in the wounds of Jesus like he's on an Easter egg hunt. So what is Thomas looking for? What did he expect to find? And, and why did Jesus allow this violation of personal space to take place if he wasn't willing to let Mary hold on to him? You know, when Jesus said, blessed are those who do not see and still believe, he wasn't saying that the people who believe without seeing are better or more special than those who need some physical proof because what really matters What really matters, what Easter is all about, is people coming to faith, regardless of how it takes place. Easter is and always has been about deliverance, about being saved. And what Thomas was searching for goes back to that very tiny little word, in. In his letter, Peter was telling the scattered believers that Jesus was still their Savior. Oh, maybe not from the Roman soldiers or from prison or the flu or food insecurity or needing a job, but Jesus was still their Savior. Have you ever limited God's power, reduced Easter Sunday and the resurrection to something like, Jesus, help me pass this test. Don't let me get a speeding ticket today. Please let there be some cocoa puffs left at Lillihop Acre. If all we are expecting is for Jesus to break us out of jail or keep us healthy or feed us or get us a better job or whisk us away from mean and nasty soldiers, then we don't understand what it means to be saved, nor do we understand the full power of the resurrection. See, what Thomas finally figured out was that no matter how much this world hates us because we believe in Jesus, no matter how much they take away from us, no matter how hard they try, by the way, to kill us, it's okay. It's okay because we have already been resurrected in Jesus. See, I don't know what all of you are dealing with right now. I do know that there are those who are grieving, there are those who are scarred, there are those who are scared. There are those who are lost. There are those who are hurting. There are those who really aren't sure how they feel right now. You're going to have to fill in the blanks. You know, on Monday, Thursday, Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Peter betrayed him for three different times. The crowds demanded he be crucified. Pontius Pilate washed his hands of him. Uh, The rest of the disciples scattered. Herod wanted him to do party tricks and was probably thinking about hiring him for his grandson's birthday party. The religious leaders wanted him to deny the promises of God. People at the foot of the cross dared him to condemn the world by saving himself. And the soldiers beat and scourged him until his skin was no longer even recognizable. When they thought they had taken everything away from Jesus, including his life, they went back to their miserable lives thinking that they wouldn't have to listen to the hallelujahs, that they wouldn't have to watch those people staring at that empty grave, laughing, singing. Yeah, but they were wrong. See, Jesus not only came back to life, but he offers the same resurrection promise to everyone. And I mean everyone, even those who betrayed him, slandered him, beat him, crucified him, even to those soldiers standing guard outside of you know, his tomb. See, Jesus walks into locked rooms, dark bedrooms, confused minds. He walks with those who are being persecuted for their faith. He stands with those, by the way, who are being slandered. He holds those up who will have no strength. Jesus holds out those nail-scarred hands. He lifts up his shirt. He even puts his slippers off so he can show you where the nails went into his feet. And then he says, peace be to you. You know, the words in Christ occur 82 times in the New Testament. That's a lot when you consider there's only 7,957 verses. It's St. Paul who's going to close out today's message. It's says his promise from the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. And it's all about that word in. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, can affliction, anguish, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. As it is written, because of you, Jesus, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through Christ who loved us. For I am persuaded that, well, not death, not life, not angels, not rulers, not things present, not things to come, no hostile powers, height, depth, nor anything else that is created will ever have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are in Christ. That is exactly where we need to be and where we need to stay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.